This is the 2.5, Conversations Connecting Innovators. If you like food, you'll like Singermans. And Singermans is the company that my guest Ari Weinzweig and his business partner Paul Saginaw founded in 1982. They grew the company along with friends and partners and a lot of hard work. Everybody involved in the growing food empire in Ann Arbor, Michigan was very motivated from the beginning. Singermans is based on great food, strong visions, transparency, internal entrepreneurship and continuous training. And also on many unconventional views on things and actions elsewhere set in stone. What started as a sandwich shop in 1982, which was small, clean, cheerfully noisy with confusion mounting to near hysterical level at lunchtime, developed in a community of businesses with more than 700 employees and multiple partners. Check out the website at the2.5.net for additional information and a transcript of this conversation. Enjoy! Hello, Ari Weinzweig. Weinzweig, welcome to the 2.5. Hello, welcome. Hello, Klaus. How are you? Pretty good. It's a perfect, it was a perfect day for me, at least. Right now, it is uh, around midday for you, noon. Uh, so you're going yeah. for lunch, I suppose. Well, I'm, I, I don't really eat lunch, but I'm going to talk to you. And then I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to go after that to uh, see what's happening at Zingerman's Roadhouse. It's great to have such places to go to all these important dates like breakfast or um, in something in between meals or a lunch, uh, dinner, uh, and, and be welcome anywhere you go to these places. I, I really envy you here because I like to eat a lot also. Yeah, well, we're, we're waiting for you to fly over. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to, but it's just right now a very yeah, bad time. I know bad timing but as you know timing is everything thank you for this conversation i'm a i'm a, a huge fanboy and thank god i'm not a journalist uh because then i would have to be all serious and stuff like that but i'm not i'm an innovation coach and i'm i i have followed a singerman's work and and uh, sing train for for a long time so it, it created a lot for me also it it is uh, inspired me a lot so thank you very much uh, for taking the time Oh, my pleasure. You know a lot about anarchism. I mean, you have studied <laughs> about it. You wrote books. Uh, it was your major yeah. in college. Um, yeah. How come that knowing a lot about anarchism drove you to establish systems in your business? I mean, systems. Um, You're an anarchist at some point, or you were an anarchist at some point, maybe a, yeah. a communist. Some say maybe a cult leader at no. this moment. Um, no, <laughs> I'll stay away from the latter two, but I'll take the anarchism. Yeah. Okay. But how did, did that drive you to establish systems? Well, I don't know that it itself drove me to establish systems. I mean, it, it's, 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 I guess what I would start with is the, common misconception that uh, that anarchism is opposed to organization. Uh, this is a, a common misuse of the word and a common misunderstanding at almost every level, especially right now when uh, people in upper level 
American government positions keep using it as if it means chaos, when in fact it's the opposite of chaos. Uh, it's it's actually about organization completely, but it's just the difference is that it's about involving the people who are being organized in the organization so that rather than uh, organization or systems being imposed by some uh, hierarchical small group on the bigger group, it's about involving everybody uh, in whatever creative systemic ways you come up with so that people are part of designing the system of which they're operating in. Do, do you think that is a natural thing of people that they want to be part of that design? I, I think so. I mean, I think that said, uh, people are used to not being part of it. And so uh, they, like all of us, we become, de uh, let's say, dependent on the past relationships that we've had, or at least we're used to them or comfortable with them. So I think a lot of times people have been excluded for a long time. And so they're they're very, become very comfortable with complaining about the way it is, but not having to take responsibility for working on it. So when, when, when one changes to this approach, it's still imperfect and it's a big change for the people in leadership, but it's also a big change for people on the front line who are used to being left sort of victims of, of their bosses uh, and then learning to take responsibility for having difficult agents and, and, taking responsibility for designing the systems that you want to work in. Designing such a system um, is sort of, in, in a business, is sort of like um, a thing that uh, reflects your, your own vision, your own way of how you think things uh, need to be done, need to get done, uh, how yeah. things are right. Uh, that is quite an interesting and difficult thing to get to. The first thing is, how do you know what's correct, what's right yourself? Well, I think the point is we don't know what's right. Uh, you don't. Uh, I, I think that was took me a long time to understand. No one, no one knows. <laughs> I think the point of of this this. Well, I mean, a couple of things. I guess I would I would bring up one. I, I wrote a pamphlet a few years ago called "The Art of Business," which is. Uh, my belief that business and life are like art, so it's trying to approach it in that way. And so uh, I would say, A, designing a great system is is as much a creative act as painting or music or poetry. Uh, it's it's not easy to do well, but if we learn to work uh, from the heart and, and, and apply our creative skills, we can come up with some amazing things. I, the other thing is, in the context of the group participating, it doesn't mean everybody has to participate in every single thing, but the reality is none of us have it figured out on our own. Uh, we want to, many of us like me, but the reality is everybody's perspective is going to bring something different to the conversation. And so uh, creating systems that bring others into the conversation allows uh, us to compensate for our own shortcomings and weaknesses by by collaborating with people who have contrasting strengths and weaknesses. So you allow yourself to have weaknesses also as an entrepreneur? Well, I think we have them. We don't have to allow it. They, they're, they're there. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are so many people that think that they are without fault and, and never fail. Well, that would be a fault. <laughs> Great. Uh, Ari, when, when you started along with Paul, um, you started in the 80s uh, in, with uh, 
creating sandwiches, soups, mm -hmm. uh, you serve coffee and stuff like that. And, and, and it was, a, as far as I understand, a, a nice place to go to. And starting with sandwiches, I mean, what can go wrong with sandwiches? Um, but somehow things probably went wrong at some place right oh, yeah. away. What was one of these things that went wrong for you with the sandwiches? Well, I can tell you the first day that we opened, uh, Maggie Bayless, who later became the managing partner at Zing Train, our training business, uh, was she was work. She actually studied uh, German literature and she actually spent a semester in uh, Freiburg. Uh, and then later after business school, she did an internship uh, in Meerbusch near Dusseldorf, too. But anyway, uh, she was working at a bank in town and she was our friend and so she uh, organized lunch for all her colleagues and uh, came in to pick up the sandwiches and we forgot to put the drinks in her order so right uh, you know the the reality is we're all making mistakes every single day uh so that's just the reality of life I, I've read some uh, some words in in an article about uh, the opening. It was a small, clean, cheerfully noisy place with confusion mounting to near hysterical level at lunchtime. That sounds really, really nice. Yeah, well, like like I said, come on over. <laughs> We have to wait for COVID to end, but one day you'll be here. Yeah, but cheerfully noisy and almost unmanageably busy. So you started that place in a place where it was uh, sort of traditional to sell sandwiches. I understand that. Uh, you had some some initial recipes which were sort of based in, in let's say, American or New York culture, as uh, I understand. But where did you get the recipes for the sandwiches and the soups and start like, uh, stuff like the, the stuff that you served? We, we made it up. I mean, we had Paul and I both had been working in restaurants for a number of years before that. Uh, so, I mean, I, you know, I don't mean we we're the best cooks in the world, but we knew how to cook. I mean, I was in the 80s. I was in the U.S. I lived for a year in the U.S. And the food was very different than it is now. And people have a, had a different awareness of, of what food yeah. was. It was very, very, let's say, franchise, McDonald's, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, did it take a lot of convincing yeah. the people to, uh, to follow you with your recipes? Yeah. And, uh, of course, it's gradual. And, you know, you don't need everybody. But I, I actually have a book in the works uh, – that's a collection of food essays that I wrote over many decades. And uh, the introduction of, of the book as it's drafted, it's not finished yet, but is essentially talking about what I came to realize in the last few years was essentially a, a, a food revolution in the United States that was happening, you know, in the few years before and after we opened the deli in 1982. And I, I couldn't have told you, or I wouldn't have told you at the time that there was one, happening uh, so some revolutions in history happen in in the context of immediate uh you know one singular event gets focused on but many revolutions happen uh much more slowly in the context of social revolutions or, or changes and although people may end in the end fixate on one date uh the reality is it was happening over a long period of time and then it continued in for a long time afterwards because the changes are actually much more gradual than history might have And 
I, I realized that that was happening with the foe in the beginning. I was only uh, 1300 square feet. I think so that's 350 square meters. So it's not like we had room for that many people. What started as, as this uh, sandwich place with uh, 350 square meters is, is today is a, a group of businesses. Um, and I think it's around nine. But at some point, I, I read that you started uh, a visioning process for yourself, for your own business, very early. And you envisioned sort of, uh, I think, 15 businesses I, I've read. When was the first time you, you, you worked on your own vision? The idea of vision, in hindsight, I would say, is a universal truth. It's a, I wrote an essay called 12 Natural Laws of Business. It's on there. Uh, I think every healthy organization, uh, whether it's a, a musical band or a, 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 an educational institution or a business, it doesn't matter. If they're doing great, they have a vision. Now, they may not write it down the way that we teach it, but they, they have one in their head of what they're trying to achieve. And people are essentially bought in uh, to making that vision a reality. So when we opened the deli, I would say Paul and I had one, but we didn't write it down uh, the way we would do it now. Um, the uh, the first time we actually wrote one down was in 1993 and 94. Uh, and that was, we were 12 years into our, our business life together. And uh, we wrote a vision called Zingerman's 2009. So it was set 15 years into the future. Uh, and that vision was the first time we used the process that we now use every day, pretty much. And uh, that vision was about six pages long, or still is six pages long, and it described a community of businesses uh, where each business would be located here in the Ann Arbor area. I, I still, to this day, I have a very strong belief about doing business in the place in which you're present and live, uh, and and that each business would be unique. Uh, I, I don't really like the copies or chains. I don't know that they're necessarily music or art or kind of lose their energy and, and the uh, excitement of a, a really original musician or, or original artist. Uh, and that each business would be part of the Zingerman's community, but would have some uh, high amount of autonomy to function so that we didn't create uh, too much, uh, you know, bureaucracy. And each business would have a managing partner or partners that own part of that business. And, uh, really had a passion for what that business did and they would be in there every day operating it. I think that's a, a great uh, alternative way of franchising. I mean, this is, this is something that helped you grow the, the group, brought, bring in lots of talent, uh, bring in lots of people that take on responsibility yeah. and, uh, and, and sort of add one building block to the next, um, with partners, with working with together with real partners. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And it sort of reminded me a bit of uh, Richard Branson with uh, the Virgin Group. Um, yep. I mean, they, they have a, a different perspective on things and they do things differently and they might try even more things and they have a global perspective. But I think what, what you do with, with your concept or is, is, uh, is kind of a, the local version of that. Yeah, absolutely. He's a little bigger than us. <laughs> slightly, slightly only. Uh, your sandwiches are probably much better. <laughs> well, I don't know, but uh, they, they, they do what they do well too. But but what you did did with that is also I mean not, not just internally I mean right now uh, the Singermans has about seven hundred people 
you have sort of uh, created a, a movement with all these things like open book and visioning um, and uh, the power of beliefs, uh, which which is sort of transferred. The knowledge is being transferred via SingTrain to lots of other businesses also. I mean, I've, I've talked to the, the Hot Tomato uh, from Fruta uh, in, in this podcast and, yeah. and uh, you know them well. I mean, yeah. you, you have created a lot in this world right now. How does that feel? I mean, this is something that is beyond a product, beyond brick and mortar. It is sort of t a timeless thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we have tried to learn from many other people. So uh, I, I think the reality of whatever philosophy or of, of life is that we're all building on what we learn from other people and, and what we do here is no exception. So I, I think in many ways, what we're doing is bringing together all sorts of different creative Uh, and effective approaches that we've learned from others and putting it together in our own unique way, which, which is really true of everything. I mean, any, in quotes, new cooking style is really just combining things from different places, different, different influences, any musical style, it's the same thing. I mean, there's no note that hasn't been played or ingredient that hasn't been used. So I, I think we want to always give credit to those from whom we learned and then put it together in a way that's true to us. And, and unique and meaningful for us. And then hopefully the uh, Janet hot tomato or others that they they're going to take it and adapt it to their ecosystem too, because in the same way that good farming is always, uh, you need to adapt to the local climate and the local soil. The same, the same is true with business, but yes, that's true. Uh, it's, uh, it's certainly uh, influenced many other people. Clearly. You kind of created a lifestyle choice. I think. Yeah. Well, I think we all are, even if people, you know, when they're working in a business where let, let's say it's not aligned with their personal values, that is a lifestyle choice also. It may not be a positive one, but it's still a choice. Uh, and and I, I think, you know, part of what I would suggest is works well in, in our setting, certainly imperfectly, but is that the approaches that we take are very aligned with how uh, people want to live in their personal life. And Uh, it's, I, I would suggest they're really the same techniques. So when we teach visioning, it's the same process that you use at home. If we teach energy management to our staff, it's the same when they leave work, they still can manage their energy. Uh, the power mm -hmm. of beliefs is universal. Uh, building hope is universal. So these, these things are really, it's not about a business technique that makes you work in opposition to your personal values. To the contrary, it's a, it's a process or a technique or a system uh, or an approach that allows you to actually live more effectively outside of work as well as at work. I understand that this is big teamwork. There's lots of people putting in things, uh, experiences, ideas, and energy and stuff like that. But somehow you have to put that together, uh, channel that, and bring it back to everybody else. At least some, uh, some, some other, uh, every other year or something. Um, that Singerman statement of beliefs, yeah, is something. It's like an effort for that. It's like a book that every employee, every do you call people in your company employees? Yeah, staff uh, members. Yeah, okay, Zinger, staff members, right? Z cobbers, we call them. You know. <laughs> okay, that that every one of them is is uh, is uh, made aware of and and uh, sort of uh, based their their work on. It's kind of like the face. I had to think of that first time at the, of the Facebook Red Book, which is probably a copy of what you are doing. 
Well, we we're trying. I mean, especially this year, it's challenging because communication is uh, been many patterns of communication have been disrupted by the pandemic. Uh, and although Zoom is awesome for you and me doing this, it's not that mm-hmm. ideal for uh, really communicating with people regularly. And so a lot of regular meetings have just, you know, we have stopped and then we're trying to get them started again. And then when you're starting on Zoom, there's some advantages. People can do it from home, but the downside is really, it's it's not the same as I, I don't think of being in person and it, it, it wow. removes a lot of the casual interactions that enhance uh, the culture. So, but anyway, yeah, we're trying to uh, to get all of that out to people as best we can. You have like tangible and intangible products, I think. One of is yeah. sandwiches, uh, coffee, stuff like that. Uh, and the other intangible is like hospitality, feeling welcome, provide a service yeah. in, a, in a restaurant, for example. That takes a yeah. lot of knowledge on one hand, but also how to prepare a sandwich, for example, the right way, how to serve a customer, but also how to interact with a customer, especially if, possibly with a difficult customer. Is there like a secret sauce for you, like a top three where you say, oh, this is what we do, and then everybody understands it right away? Because I think that's a really difficult problem that you have solved. Well, I don't know if we ever solve it. I mean, I think it's for the rest of our lives trying to figure it out. But I I, I think the thing is there's not a top three, and that's part of the problem. That's part of what I learned from anarchism was just everybody's looking for the number one thing. But it's actually the search for the number one thing I think is actually not very helpful uh, because it dishonors the reality of the complexity of the world. So I think on the one hand, it's important to be able to present stuff in ways that are understandable. Uh, and and I think part of what we've done with Zing Train that's worked is to be able to take complex realities, but then present them in ways that uh, are simpler to learn, but still honor the complexity. So our visioning process Uh, we have an eight-step recipe. We have four elements of a vision. We have three steps to great service, five steps to handling complaints. So these are they're simple enough to get your mind around and to learn when you're new, uh, and it's overwhelming. But also they they allow for the reality that every customer is different, every content of every vision is different, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's the beauty of it. Uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, the American. Uh, scholar i'm trying to remember the exact quote but it was something like i he you know i wouldn't give a fig uh, which is an american expression for the uh superficial simplicity but i would give the world for simplicity and the uh, for simplicity on the other side of complexity so when you honor the complexity in your simplicity that's when it's a beautiful thing I think I'm lacking a few years in experience right now because uh i've never heard it put it uh, talking about complexity that nicely um, and that easily understandable because I, I always thought or uh, when you started with the complexity thing that many people reject re complexity they don't believe uh, that it exists they just want the simple way the easy solution yeah but I think that's what part of the problem is and I, I think we can create methods that work I mean one can't process everything at the same time, but at the same time, it's to, 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 it, it, you have to dehumanize people in order to make them fit a box that one, th one size fits all. I mean, it just doesn't work. And I, again, I think, you know, going back to your original question, I mean, the anarchists were reacting to 
uh, a lot of the dehumanization of the industrial revolution and not that everything was bad. I mean, there was good technological work that came from it, of course, but at the same time, it was really about treating people as if they were a machine part and they're not right. And so I'm not the same today as I was yesterday and how I feel talking to you will be altered 20 minutes after we're off the phone because something will happen. And so honoring the complexities, but still creating frameworks that work is, uh, is important. I see what you mean. I mean, if you have some sort of framework, some sort of system in place, you will always create some result. It might not be the, in, uh, the air quotes correct result, but it will create something yeah. that yeah. you can work with and yeah. improve or pick up on it or whatever, base uh, something new on it. Yes, absolutely. And I think to, to, to that point, I mean, the best systems lead you towards the new development. With SyncTrain, do you train basically everybody in the company also? No, ZingTrain really just trains people like from the outside. And then internally, we have our own training. And certainly people who work at ZingTrain also teach classes inside, but so do I and so do a lot of other people. Uh, so ZingTrain is not the internal training department, but it's more the place that we translate what we do internally for others. Uh, and then also can use the expertise that ZingTrain brings to training in, inside the organization for ourselves. Uh, and then again, this year has been challenging because we, you know, it's just, just the reality is that so many uh, classes uh, have been hard to do uh, during the pandemic. So, Yeah, I, I have switched a lot to, to online uh, coaching and, and workshops and stuff. And yeah. it works, but you just have to adapt to it. And people have to adapt to it. Yeah. Uh, not seeing themselves personally and not sharing food uh, in, the, in the breaks and stuff like that. That's a yeah. important spot, a a yeah. part of the, such an experience also. I agree. And I, I've, I've participated in, in online meetings that have started with food. That was really great because uh, the people send out like care packages to all the individual uh, participants, which was really nice because we shared that, say, Bavarian food experience or that whatever Italian food experience and yeah. talked about other things also. So that was a great way, but it's very, very uh, complex to prepare. Yeah, absolutely. Ari, you are writing a lot. I mean, pamphlets. Uh, I know the, uh, when I reacted, how I reacted about reading the pamphlets, uh, that you are printing pamphlets, I thought, wow, why a pamphlet? Then I, why print it? And then I thought of, well, there is a shop, there is shops, there is restaurants, and people go to these restaurants and pick up all these things. So I understand. I know that you write blog posts and articles yeah. and books yeah. and, and so on. I mean, part of, if, if you have some sort of vision, ideas, and, and if you're driven by something, uh, you need to write about it. But when do you find the time to do that? Well, I wrote a I wrote a whole piece about time management. It's in uh, part three of the Guide to Good Leading, which is on managing ourselves, and then there, it's also out as a pamphlet too. Uh, but I, I mean, I think that we all make time for what we care about the most, and and then also I think that uh, I, I would suggest that mo many of us have a unhealthy relationship with time. 
And I think the better our relationship with time, the more ultimately we get done. Uh, you know, I have a dozens of little techniques that I use, but I think the bigger, the bigger issue is the relationship. And then, you know, do people have a vision of how they uh, would like their relationship with time to be going? Yes, there's so many time management systems around. And uh, in the end, it's basically about knowing what is important to yourself and then uh, coming up with the priorities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, I guess I, I, now that you say it, I mean, it's a little bit like if people have an unhealthy relationship with food, uh, but they go on a diet, it's not going to work, you know? So it doesn't mean the diet itself is evil, but it will be uh, ultimately unsustainable unless, uh, unless people, uh, have a healthy relationship with food. And I think the same is probably true with time too, now that you suggest that. You as a person, but also Singerman's as a business has embraced um, the, the digital um, tools, I think, uh, very well. You have several newsletters. Um, I love the graphics that you developed. I saw that you are using these this, this style of graphic also in the shops and restaurants and stuff like yeah. that. So it's a, like a consistent image that you're transferring here. Um, but for you yourself, what is more important? Uh, somebody to read the newsletter or pick up the pamphlet in, in the restaurant, for example? Well, I mean, I think it's important is that it's works for them. You know, it's, I like paper, but, <laughs> but I, but I think realistically the, the e-news obviously just like social media, I mean, it can reach a lot more people and people can read it in their own time and whatever on their phone while they're waiting for the bus or whatever they want to do. So uh, certainly both have, a place and I think that the point of diversity is to be able to make material available in different methods. Ari, before we, we leave, I was wondering, um, could you tell me how important is chutzpah uh, in business, uh, chutzpah for an entrepreneur, <laughs> for an innovator? I don't know if anybody ever asked me that. Um, Well, I think it's the reality is that we, to do anything bold, we have to, at least my belief, I, I remain fearful almost of everything. It's just learning how to go ahead anyway and uh, and not to be stopped by the fear because I, I think to your earlier point, I mean, to pretend there's no fear is naive, is naive and not real. Uh, the difference is the people who pursue it anyway. Uh, David Bales and Ted Orland wrote a book about art and artists, and I'm paraphrasing, but they said the difference between great artists and the people who fail as artists is the great artists go ahead through the fear anyway. Uh, and I, I think that's certainly true for me. So I guess that translates uh, in my grandmother's language into chutzpah. Uh, you have to go ahead Uh, and, you know, be bold. That said, people do bold things and fail too. So it's not like bold is only guarantees success. But I, I think to do something meaningful, we have to take chances. And uh, I come to realize over the years uh, that not doing anything is taking a chance too. So either way, there's risk. Ari, thank you very much. Uh, you and Singermans are a source of constant inspiration. 
Thank you very much for taking the time, Ari. That was a real, real treat. My pleasure. Thank you. That was my conversation with Ari Weinzweig of Singerman's Community of Businesses in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I did. I had a great time preparing it and collected lots of materials, which I published on the 2.5.net website. You'll find also a transcript, videos, additional texts and links to Singerman's. They will help you to better understand this community of businesses and the Singerman approach. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great day. This is the 2.5 Conversations Connecting Innovators. <laughs>